Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. We're continuing to plow forward with a very busy schedule, but we will be getting some relief next week with the international break. Today in part 1 we'll cover some news and a lot of action from during the week, starting with Torino's postponed match against Genoa on Wednesday, then we'll recap the latest round of action in Serie B from last weekend, and we'll cover the latest round of Champions League and Europa League action. In part 2 we'll review Napoli's Europa League win over HNK Rijeka, and in part 3 we'll preview Napoli's upcoming match against Bologna. So let's start with the news and the big story of the week which was Diego Maradona. I'm sure by now most of you are aware that he was hospitalized earlier in the week, but for those who didn't know, the initial reports were that he had a brain hemorrhage, but it turned out to be a blood clot in his brain, which is still very serious, of course. Maradona underwent emergency surgery to remove the clot, which was a success. There are no neurological complications, but Maradona will remain in hospital for a few more days while doctors continue to monitor and evaluate his condition. In other news, with COVID continuing to spread in Italy, the Primavera Dua has been suspended until December 3rd, 2020. Napoli Primavera hasn't played a single match since losing their opener to Lecce 4-1 on October 3rd. Finally, we're already in November, which means the winter transfer market is right around the corner, and rumors are already beginning to surface for the usual suspects. We have enough to cover today, so we'll provide a comprehensive update on the transfer rumors next week. So with that, let's get into the action from this week. Genoa and Torino played their postponed match from round 3 on Wednesday. It was good to see that Andrea Bellotti started for Torino after leaving the Lazio match with a back injury. 
Torino got off to a positive start and scored a well-deserved goal in the 10th minute. Eduardo Goldaniga should have done better on the clearance, but he didn't get enough on his header, and he directed it towards the goal. Credit to Sasha Lukic, though, the finish was excellent, and it's great to see Torino getting production out of anyone other than Andrea Bellotti. Lukic has now scored in three straight matches. Around the 15th minute, there was a fairly lengthy VAR review for a possible foul by Gleason Bremer on Lucas Larraguer in the box. Bremer appeared to step on Larraguer's foot, but the penalty wasn't given. I hate to sound like a broken record, but once again, Serie A officials have been horribly inconsistent because we've seen numerous penalties given for this exact tackle this season. Even referee designator Nicola Rizzoli, speaking to Sky Sport on Monday, expressed his disappointment with how many mistakes are being made and with the limited use of VAR by referees. Belotti still got in on the action, not by scoring, but by setting up the second goal with a delicate little cross into the box. At first, it looked like Lukic scored his second, but it turned out it was Luca Pellegrini who put the final touch into his own goal. So just past the midway point of the first half, Torino were already up 2-0. Torino should have had a third in the 72nd minute after Belotti started the counterattack with a backheel outlet pass to Carolinetti. He picked out Federico Bonazzoli at the top of the box. If Bonazzoli played one more pass to Belotti, he would have been clear to the goal, but instead he took the shot from outside the box and it rolled harmlessly wide of the goal. That was just a selfish play. Even on the broadcast, you could hear Belotti yelling, Bona, Bona, so you know that Bonazzoli heard him on the field. Once again, Torino conceded a late goal and a very nice one at that. Gianluca Scamacca became the first Genoa player to score in his first two Serie A appearances since Christoph Piontek. He also has four goals in his last three matches in all competitions after scoring a brace in the Coppa Italia. But Torino held on to earn Marco Giampaolo his first win. I'm actually one of the few people that doesn't think that Giampaolo should be fired, at least not yet. I know the coach is ultimately responsible, but Torino could easily have had a record of three wins and three losses with wins over Sassuolo and Lazio if they don't give up those last minute goals. And to me, the players have to have some accountability for those results too. Moving on to Serie B, the 6th round was played last weekend. The match of the week was Vicenza versus Pisa, which finished 4-4. This was a back-and-forth affair with the lead changing hands four times. Robert Goucher scored two ridiculous goals from outside the box, only 10 minutes apart to give Pisa a 4-3 lead. That was all the more impressive when you consider that Pisa's Eros Pisano picked up a second yellow in the 39th minute. Atalanta owned Jacopo D'Arriva equalized for Vicenza in the 74th minute, and yet Pisa still came very close to winning, but Michele Marconi's header hit the corner of the bar and stayed out. Monza defeated Cittadella 2-1 with both Monza goals coming from the penalty spot. The first was converted by Kevin Prince Boateng. I thought that was a soft call, but I find myself saying that a lot lately, so maybe I just need to get used to it. Entella drew Brescia 2-2. All four goals were scored in the final half hour of the match. Brescia thought they won the match with an 86th minute goal by Florian Aie, but in the 93rd minute, Entella were correctly awarded a penalty for a handball in the box. That's the second time in three matches that Marco Mancosu converted a penalty in added time to earn a draw. Spal beat Regina 1-0 on a beautiful long-range header by Lucas Castro. Jeremy Menez was shown a straight red in the 23rd minute, and Lucas Castro was shown a red at the very end of the match after literally giving Marco Rossi a backhand to the face. Regina had the chance to equalize in the second half, but former Napoli player German Dennis was stopped from the penalty spot. Venezia beat Empoli 2-0. Apparently the second goal was really nice, but you couldn't see it through the fog. Lecce beat Pescara 3-1 on a brace by Mariusz Stepinski, and with the other goal being scored by Massimo Coda. 
Pordenone finally got their first win of the season after starting with four draws and a loss. They beat Ascoli 1-0. And rounding out the week, Kevo beat Cosenza 2-0 and Frosinone beat Cremonese 1-0. So after six rounds, Empoli, Kevo and Frosinone are tied at the top with 13 points. Spal, Salernitana, Cittadella, Venezia and Lecce round out the top eight. And Entella, Cremonese and Pescara are the bottom three. Moving on to Europe, our seven Italian teams are back in action in the Champions League and the Europa League. Let's start with the reigning champions Liverpool, who smacked Atalanta 5-0 on goals from Diogo Jota, Mo Salah, and Sadio Mane. Jota was incredible in this match, he scored a tripleta, he looked good from the opening kickoff. He was devastating Atalanta's backline with perfectly timed runs, and then he finished very coolly. Jota became the first Liverpool player to score in his first three starts in the competition since Roy Keane did it in 2008. You would think that with this scoreline that Liverpool dominated the match, but Atalanta had plenty of the ball and created a number of scoring opportunities. Duvan Zapata just couldn't seem to buy a goal despite his best efforts. Atalanta's downfall was their defending, which has been poor all season, and in this match they ran into probably the most lethal counterattacks in all of club football. Inter suffered a 3-2 loss to Real Madrid. Once again, Perisic started beside Lautaro with Lukaku hurt. Alexis Sanchez returns from injury, but he started on the bench. This was an important match for both of these clubs, who were both expected to advance from the group, but neither of them won a match after two rounds. Ashraf Hakimi made an uncharacteristic error against his former club with a wayward pass back that Kareem Benzema jumped on to open the scoring. I don't really fault anyone for the Sergio Ramos goal, that was just an excellent header from the Madrid captain. Lautaro Martinez pulled one back before the break, it was good to see him get a goal as he's been in a bit of a funk lately. Nicolo Barella played a beautiful backheel flick to set up that goal. Barella and Lukaku have been the two Inter players that have been consistently well for Conte this year. Lautaro had arguably his best match of the season. He also assisted on the equalizer scored by even Perisic. I thought Perisic was an awkward fit up top, but he's now scored two goals in two matches playing next to Lautaro. The problem is Inter won neither of those matches. In fact, they've only won one match in their last seven in all competitions. That has a lot to do with Inter's defending. On the third goal, Danilo D'Ambrosio got caught pressing a little too high, which allowed Vinicius Jr. to get free down the wing. Somehow his cross got through a lot of legs to get to Rodrigo, who blasted his shot past Handanovic for the win. Juventus got a comfortable win over Ferenc Varos in the pouring rain. Alvaro Morata scored a brace. I must admit, even with all the offsides, he's been fantastic since rejoining Juventus. I don't know what it is, but he just seems to play better for Juventus than for anyone else. Juan Cuadrado appeared to be offside before playing the cross on the first goal. VAR looked at it and confirmed the goal, but we weren't shown the image on the broadcast for some reason. Paulo Dybala scored the third. He replaced Morata about midway through the second half. He tapped in his first goal of the season after Ferenc Varro's keeper, Dennis Dibuj, was unable to control the pass back in front of his own goal. Remarkably, Dibuj made another error on the fourth goal. This time, he received the pass back well enough, but he passed the ball straight to Dybala, who found the back of the goal. The goal was officially ruled an own goal after Lasha Diwali cleared the ball straight into the roof of his own goal, but the ball was already on its way in, so for me, that should have been Dybala's goal. Ferenc Varos got a late consolation goal to rob Wojtek Szczesny of his clean sheet, but Andrea Pirlo will still be happy with the 4-1 result. Finally, Lazio drew Zenit 1-1 in front of about 20,000 fans in St. Petersburg. This was another decent result for Lazio, who were once again without some key players, most importantly Ciro Immobile and Luis Alberto, but also Manuel Lazzari, Lucas Leva, and Thomas Trakosha. 
Lazio Sporting Director Ilitare expressed his frustrations before the match on the microphones of Sky Sport. Lazio are currently being investigated by the FIGC for potential violations of the COVID protocols and in how the team does its testing. Lately, we've seen a number of players have false positives. We saw with Hakimi at Inter and Donnarumma at Milan. I've also read that the way UEFA defines a positive test is different than how Serie A does. I won't get into the details of the explanation because it's very technical. Perhaps I'll do a feature on it next week since we'll be back to our normal schedule. But that's the reason why players are testing negative in Serie A, but testing positive in UEFA competitions. So Lazio played without these players and you could see it in this match. Lazio seemed content to sit back and let Zenit come at them, which they did. Zenit, by the way, were also without some key players, particularly in the attack with Malcolm, Sebastian Giriussi, and former Napoli target Sardar Asmoon all out. Zenit scored a wonderful team goal in the first half. Yuri Zhirkov played an excellent cross into the box. Artem Ziuba chested the ball back to Daler Kuziev, who headed back to Ziuba, and then Ziuba headed to Alexander Yerokin in front of the goal. He smashed his volley past a helpless Pepe Reina. Zenit had their chances to extend the lead. Andre Mostovoy nearly scored a wonder goal just moments after coming off the bench. He pushed the ball around Wesley Holt before poking his shot just wide of the far post. That proved to be a costly miss. Even though Lazio created very little in attack, they didn't register their first shot on target until the 79th minute. Felipe Caicedo scored a late equalizer to rob Zenit of two points. Caicedo's making a habit of scoring important goals. He did this only a few days earlier, scoring a last-minute winner over Torino at the weekend. So midway through the group stage, Inter are bottom of Group B with only two points. It will definitely be an uphill climb for Inter at this point. Assuming Real Madrid topped the group, which is by no means a certainty, Inter will have to beat Borussia Mönchengladbach and Shakhtar Donetsk to have any chance of advancing, and even then they may need a little bit of help when those two teams play each other. Atalanta are neck and neck with Ajax in Group D. Ajax have a one goal advantage on goal differential. Liverpool will win the group and Mithiland will finish the bottom of the group. So this group may come down to who wins the return leg of Atalanta Ajax. Lazio control their own destiny sitting in second in group F with a win and two draws. And Juventus are looking very likely to advance from group G along with Barcelona. In the Europa League, Napoli beat Rijeka 2-1 which we'll cover in more detail in part 2. Milan played Lille in the big match of Group F and probably the match of the round. Heading into the match, Lille were the only French club to have beaten Milan at the San Siro, which was 16 years ago, and they did it again on Thursday, winning 3-0. That was Milan's heaviest ever home defeat in European football, and it ended their unbeaten streak at 24 matches, and at the same time, it extended Lille's unbeaten streak to 12 matches. All of those nuggets were taken straight from the broadcast, by the way. Milan started a bit of a backup squad with the likes of Rade Krunic, Samu Castilleu, Sandro Tonali, and Diogo Dallo in the starting 11. For Lille, with Jose Font back in the lineup, ex-Napoli target Adama Sumaoro dropped to the bench. And both sides had these sons of Milan greats on their benches. Milan, of course, have Daniel Maldini, and Lille have Timothy Weah, who's the son of Milan great George Weah. Lille opened the scoring from the penalty spot. I thought this was another soft penalty. I know Romagnoli had a hand on Yuzici's back, but I didn't see any kind of push. His arm didn't extend. It's a contact sport. Bodies can make contact. Yuzici threw himself to the ground and the referee fell for it. Milan were very flat in the first half, other than an Ibrahimovic free kick that he blasted through the wall and Mike Maignan did well to stop. Milan didn't create a whole lot. At the beginning of the second half, Lille really began to assert themselves. They were moving the ball quickly and confidently, and they were awarded with a bit of a fortunate goal. A keeper of the quality of Gigi Donnarumma should have stopped that shot, but even the best sometimes make mistakes. 
Moments later, Yurichi added a third, and on that one, Lille deserved all the credit. The run and layoff by Jonathan David, or Jonathan David, depending on how you want to say it, then the finish by Yurichi were all class. Rafael Leal came close against his former club late in the match, but the finish was as disappointing as the evening was for Milan. Finally, Roma smacked Cluj 5-0. Roma were by far the better side, as you would probably deduce from the scoreline if you didn't watch the match. It took Roma only one minute to open the scoring. Henrik Mkhitaryan headed in after Leonardo Spinazzola did really well to get his cross in. Roger Ibanez doubled Roma's lead with a header from almost the exact same position. Borja Mayoral scored his first for Roma to make it 3, and then he scored his second for Roma to make it 4, and Pedro scored the 5th. Cluj had the odd chance here and there, but they looked pretty demoralized after going down by 3. It really felt like they were just playing out the clock. Despite being down, they just kind of sat back and let Roma pass the ball around as if it was an even scoreline, which made this probably the most boring 5-goal game you'll ever watch. So Roma lead Group A with 7 points in 3 matches. For Napoli, Group F is totally up for grabs. The only certainty is Rijeka will not advance, but Alkmaar, Sociedad, and Napoli are all on 6 points. For what it's worth, the sportsbooks have Napoli as the favorites to win the group. Finally, Milan are sitting comfortably in 2nd in Group H, just 1 point behind Lille. So that will do for Part 1. In Part 2, we'll review Napoli's win over Rijeka on Thursday. Siamo nati e cresciuti a Napoli. Per noi non è solo una squadra di calcio, è una città. Napoli è identità. Napoli corre, lotta, si ribella. Napoli è bella. Qui non sei mai solo. Qui puoi tutto. Qui puoi spiccare il volo. E allora, tutti insieme, cantiamo in coro. Thursday, Napoli played their final match of the group stage of the Europa League, and here's how it went. So Napoli begin the game on match day three in Croatia. Rijeka looking to cause a huge upset and pick up their first points in this Europa League Group F. And now they might break again with Manalo. Only these two up again. Kulenic one side him. That's the other coming back. Teed up for Muric to bend one! You can't say it hasn't been coming. Robert Muric on his Europa League group stage debut with just their second goal in this season's competition. It's a beauty on the counter-attack. And Rijeka have a surprise lead. And with three minutes to go, they've done that. Merton's looking long this time. Not the best clearing header. Petania, Elmas, and here's Dries Mertens. And it's in. And they've got the breakthrough they were looking for from Diego Demmer. Set up by Mertens, and the midfielder's there to tap it in. And all of Rijeka's solid defending comes to nothing. They're undone two and a half minutes before half-time. 
Still we go on. Enough time for one more attack, maybe for Napoli and Mario Rui. Some of the balls in from there have not been good enough. And that is half-time. So after a composed and confident first-half display on the counter-attack and largely solid defensively, Rijeka get us off and running again. Napoli were able to... Here he goes again. Neat little one-two. Betania! Oh, it didn't catch it well, but that didn't matter. It's a goal for Napoli striker. I wonder if it hit a defender and went in as an own goal. He'll certainly be claiming it. The most important thing for the visitors is they have the lead. Not many more seconds, though. There is full time in Rijeka. And despite taking the lead, the hosts have been beaten by two goals to one. Robert Muric is... So as you heard, Napoli won 2-1 on goals from Diego Demme and an own goal. As always, let's start with the starting lineups. Rijeka lined up in a 5-3-2 on paper, but defended in a 5-4-1. Croatia's U21 goalkeeper Ivan Nevestic started in goal. The three centre-backs were Darko Valkovski, João Escoval, and Jorge Smolcic. Ivan Tomasek started at right-back, and Filip Braut started over Daniel Stefuld at left-back. We were expecting a four-man midfield with Franco Andriesevic and Domagoj Pavicic in the middle and Stepan Lunkar and Luka Manalo on the wings. Andriesevic wasn't in the squad at all so he may have tested positive but Adam Nezda Serin returned to the squad alongside Lonsar and Robert Muric who was making his European debut. Finally Menelo moved up to play alongside Sandro Kulenovic in the dual striker role. For Napoli, Gattuso lined up in the 4-3-3, which was something we expected, but there were a few surprises in the starting 11. Alex Meret started in goal, Kalidou Koulibaly and Nikola Maksimovic started at centre-back. I was really hoping to see Amir Rachmani get his first start here. Mario Rui started at left-back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo started at right-back, where we were expecting Elcid Kusai to start. In the three-man midfield, we correctly predicted that both Diego Demme and Stanislav Lobotka would start, but we were expecting to see Piotr Zielinski as the attacking midfielder. Instead, Gattuso played a more traditional midfield three, at least on paper. Elif Elmas played on the left, Demme in the middle, and Lobotka on the right. However, in practice, all three were moving around quite a bit. We were expecting to see Elmas play on the left wing, but instead Dries Mertens got the start there. He does have experience playing on the wings, so I didn't have a problem with that. Matteo Politano started on the right wing, and Andrea Petania started at striker. So this was a really interesting match. In the first half an hour, Napoli really struggled with Rijeka's pace on the counterattack. Rijeka had five excellent scoring opportunities, which I want to go through quickly. The first one came only three minutes into the match. Mario Rui pinched Amuric on the right wing, so Koulibaly moved over to cover in case Volkowski joined the attack, but he didn't, leaving Koulibaly marking no one. At the same time, Kulenovic made a run to the right side of the box, pulling Maksimovic out of position, which left a gaping hole in the middle of the field. Di Lorenzo should have stepped up on Menelo with Politano tracking the run on the left wing, but Di Lorenzo gave Menelo way too much space to shoot, and he took it, but Meret made an excellent save. Kulenovic and Menelo gave our backline problems early on. In the ninth minute, Alex Meret made an important diving interception on a ball that could have easily ended up in the back of the goal had he not intervened. Then we had Rijeka's goal in the 13th minute. This play started with an errant pass from Politano that was intended for Elmas, but Politano put it behind him. Tomasek immediately played the ball forward to start the counter. Once again, it was Menelo and Kulenovic who raced forward. Di Lorenzo got caught in the attack, so the two speedy forwards were 2v2 with Napoli centre-backs, with Rui, Demme, Lobotka, and Di Lorenzo all trying to get back. 
Despite all of those players racing back, no one picked up the run of Murich. I have no idea who Rui was covering, and Lobotka and Di Lorenzo were very casually jogging back. You do have to give Murich credit for the finish though, Meret had absolutely no chance of stopping it. Thankfully that was the only goal we conceded, I thought Alex Meret was very sharp especially in the first half. In the 18th minute he made an excellent punch to stop the direct corner kick. Rijeka had another chance in the 25th minute again on the counter attack, this time off a wayward pass by Di Lorenzo. Smolcic intercepted and played the ball out to Lonkar, he chipped over them and Di Lorenzo to spring Menelo, who passed to Kulenovic. He managed to dribble past Koulibaly then around Di Lorenzo and then he nutmegged Koulibaly who had chased him down before firing into the strong hands of Meret. Finally in the 28th minute Lobotka played a wayward pass back and Kulenovic bolted past Koulibaly but Meret read the play well and came well outside of his box to block Kulenovic's attempt to push the ball around the keeper. Kulenovic who actually spent some time with Juve's Primavera squad spoke highly of playing in Italy and against Napoli. He said it was a dream to play against Koulibaly and that he is one of the three strongest central defenders in the world after Sergio Ramos and Virgil van Dijk. The final hour of the match was almost entirely controlled by Napoli but again Rijeka came very close to scoring. Once again it was on the counter attack and once again Napoli's defending was poor. On this play Koulibaly cleared the ball straight to Sterling Yateki and once again even though Napoli had numbers back no one picked up Menelo's run so he had a free shot from the top of the box. Fortunately we were bailed out by the upright. From that point on Napoli dominated play but it was Rijeka's keeper even Nevistic that kept Rijeka in the match. In the 54th minute he made a nice save on Elmas after a give and go with Mertens. By the way even though Mertens didn't score I thought he still played very well. The important thing is that he's making meaningful contributions like the assist on the first goal. In the 85th minute Nevicic punched out a corner very much like Meret did in the first half. It was very good to see Fauzi Gulam in there delivering some decent crosses. We've talked about how that's been an issue lately. Mario Rui's cross on the Rijeka own goal was very nice as well. It didn't have much power but he put it in a very dangerous area. Finally the save of the night came in the 87th minute. Three substitutes combined on this play. First Lorenzo Insigne played the ball to Gulam on the overlap. That was a simple pass but one that demonstrates how Napoli create more with Insigne on the field. Once again Gulam played a dangerous ball into the box, this time a cut back along the ground but it was a touch ahead of Zielinski who had to slide to get the shot off but it was a very good shot indeed. Nevistic was leaning to his left but reacted quickly to dive against his momentum to make the save. The last thing I want to comment on is the combination of Diego Deme and Stanislav Lobotka because it doesn't really seem to be working that well. We saw them play together along with a third defensive midfielder in the match against Real Sociedad and we did almost nothing in the attack. Now that situation was necessitated by the absence of Zielinski and the fact that Fabian had played a lot of time in his place. There are some situations where I don't mind having both them and Lobotka on the field, namely when we play against stronger clubs that might have more possession than we do like an Inter for example. In that case it makes sense to me to play two holding mids in either the 4-3-3 or the 4-2-3-1. But in matches or situations where we need to create opportunities and score goals, we're not going to get a whole lot of creativity from those two. Part of the problem is they are just too similar. At one point in the match they were running side by side only a couple of feet apart which should not happen. 
when Fabian came on and Lobotka came off, you could see there was immediately more balance in the squad. To me, that's how these two players are best used. The funny thing is, earlier in the season, Gattuso played Fabian and Zielinski in the double pivot, which I didn't like a lot either. Fabian and Zielinski are also similar players. Fabian doesn't exactly help the situation being so slow. I think the ideal combination in the double pivot is one of them and Lobotka with one of Fabian and Zielinski. And obviously Mertens can't play every game, so on those days, I wouldn't mind seeing Fabian in the 10 spot and then playing Zielinski as the attacking mid. So that's our review of Napoli's win over Rijeka. Next, we'll preview Napoli's final Serie A match before the international break against Bologna. Napoli play Bologna on Sunday. Bologna are off to a slow start with only two wins and four losses. However, that record may be a little bit misleading. Three of those losses were against Milan, Sassuolo, and Lazio. Also, many of Bologna's losses could have easily been victories. They dominated Benevento, but Lorenzo Montipo had his best game of the year, and Bologna were denied a clear penalty in that match. Against Sassuolo, they were up 3-1 and managed to drop all three points and Bologna more than held their own against Lazio, though that was arguably Lazio's worst performance of the season when you consider they had all of their key players in the lineup. Not to mention, Bologna have been ravished with injuries. Captain Andrea Poli is recovering from a fractured fibula. Andrea Skovolston has a fractured lumbar vertebrae. Federico Santander had knee surgery, and Nicola Sansone has a muscle injury. I'm very curious to see how Sinisa Mihailovic approaches this match, even though they ultimately lost that match to Sassuolo, we did get a glimpse of what this Bologna side is capable of. Early in the match, they pressed high and they were very effective when they did, but they couldn't sustain it for the full 90 minutes. We saw that same press work very well against Parma. We also saw how quickly they can move the ball up the field with one-touch passes. In Bologna's recent win over Cagliari, we saw Bologna's ability to finish as well, particularly from Musa Barrow and Roberto Soriano. So with that, let's take a look at the starting lineups. Bologna's starting 11 might be the easiest of any side to predict because Mihailovic pretty much uses the exact same players week in, week out. Like Gattuso, Mihailovic lines up in a 4-2-3-1 formation. Lukas Skorupski will start in goal. Takahiro Tomiyasu and Danilo will start at center back. Aaron Hickey is the left back. And Lorenzo De Silvestri is the right back. Jordi Schutten and Matthias Vanberg play in the double pivot. Musa Barrow plays on the left wing, Ricardo Orsolini plays on the right wing, and Roberto Soriano plays in the number 10 spot behind Rodrigo Palacio. For Napoli, Gattuso will line up in the 4-2-3-1 as well. David Ospina should return in goal, though I wouldn't be terribly surprised to see Alex Moret get another start as a reward for his performance against Rijeka. With how Giovanni Di Lorenzo played against Rijeka, I think we'll see Mario Rui get another start at left back, and Elcide Kusai play at right back. In the middle, we should see Kaladu Koulibaly and Kostas Manolas. I expect to see Gattuso go back to Tiamui Bakayoko and Fabian Ruiz in the double pivot. 
with Lorenzo Insigne playing against Rijeka and looking fit, and also with the international break coming, I think he will start on the left wing. I'm very tempted to say that Chucky Lozano will give Matteo Politano a break on the right wing, but again, I think because of the international break coming, that Politano will get another start. Similarly, while I'd love to see Piotr Zielinski in the number 10 spot, I think we'll see Dries Mertens there in behind Victor Osimhen. The match official for this one is Fabrizio Pasqua. His linesmen are Giorgio Piretti and Valerio Vecchi. Ricardo Ros is the fourth official. Rosario Abiso is on the VAR, assisted by Matteo Passeri. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 3-1 Napoli win. For Napoli, I'll give the goals to Lorenzo Insigne, Victor Osimhen, and Dries Mertens. And for Bologna, I'll go with Musa Barro. I was very tempted to predict a 2-2 draw, and if Napoli were starting the same squad from Thursday, I probably would have. Against Rijeka, we saw Napoli really struggle to defend against a speedy counter-attack, which is exactly what Bologna have in Barro, Soriano, and Orsolini. The difference, though, is Bakayoko should be playing in this match. I think he offers more defensively than Diego Demme or Stanislav Lobotka do. The other key difference for me is Lorenzo Insigne. Without him, Napoli really struggled to score, so even two goals may have been a stretch. He makes a huge difference in the attack, both as a goal-scoring threat and as a playmaker. I also think Dries Mertens is playing much better than most people are giving him credit for, and his play only improves when Insigne is on the field because of the chemistry that they have developed over the years. We also have a full squad with Elmas and Zielinski back. To have both of them and Chucky Lozano and Andrea Petania is a huge advantage. So that's our preview of Napoli Bologna. I hope you enjoy the match. That will also do it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends and give us a five star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti five, or you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Forza Napoli Pod. We'll talk to you again after the match, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! Today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 
Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.